0: So we have just started a teaching series in the book of Jonah, and we started it last week. And as we were kicking it off last week, I mentioned that we're actually going to have a two-part introduction. So two-part introduction, one last week and one this week. And I'll admit to you, last week was a bit of a a fake introduction because um, while I think it relates heavily to what we're talking about, and I think you'll see that. I connected at the end of our introduction. We actually spent most of our time in the book of Romans, right? We went through uh, Romans 10, and Romans 6, and Romans 3. We spent a little time in Genesis, and we just barely, at the very end, just came back to Jonah 1. But today, we're gonna do a full-on proper introduction, like the kind that you would expect when we're heading into a teaching series, and we want to understand better what the Lord might have for us in this book. So. That's what we're going to be doing tonight. We're going to try our best to understand exactly what it is that we are reading when we open to the book of Jonah in the Old Testament. So go ahead and turn there. Jonah, it's uh, in the second half of the Old Testament of the Bible. If you're looking at it, it's a little bit past halfway after Obadiah. Jonah is one of the 12 minor prophets. Okay, One of the 12 minor prophets. Now, when we say the minor prophets, that's just a fancy term to say it's one of the 12 smaller books in in the prophet books. Okay, There's prophetic books. There's some major prophets, which are the the large ones, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah. And then there are the minor prophets, which are just all of the ones that we don't remember half their names because their books are only a, a chapter or two long. So I don't know how they got that name, but that's where you're gonna find Jonah in the minor prophets. So go ahead and turn there if you can. I think there are many of you who have never truly, authentically spent time reading the Old Testament. I, I mean, I know that. I've talked to several of you about that. And I, and I know that there are many of you that feel overwhelmed or feel intimidated by the Old Testament. And I want to say that this message especially is for you. This message especially is for you, because you see, one of, the, one of the many reasons that we're intimidated by the Old Testament is that we're unfamiliar with it. Like the Old Testament seems a lot more foreign to us than the New Testament does. It's, it's a lot older. The customs are a lot uh, more different. Like, their society, like American society is based on Greco-Roman culture. Like we understand a lot of things that are happening, but it is not based on the Judea culture that we see in the, in the Middle East. And so there's a lot of differences there. And so we can be unfamiliar with it, Um, but I want to say that the Old Testament and and reading through it, one of the ways that it it can help us to read through it is by thinking of it like, um, like, follow me here, like buying a car, okay? How many of you at at your age have have gone through some kind of car buying experience, whether it was with your parents or something like that? So again, a few of you, um, or buying an instrument, if any of you are are people that that, um, play instruments, you know, yeah. Um, Or maybe, let's just say, you're trying a radically different haircut or radically different style of, of uh, clothing, and you're a little unsure about it. Um, some of the things that we like to do is we, we, we like to get familiar with something before we decide to purchase it, right, before we decide to dive into it. And so with a car, you go on a, a test drive. And what you do is you, you take the car out, you drive through it, Of you have a mechanic or your parents or somebody help like go through all the things in it, try to understand it. Um, if you're like me, you YouTube it, right? Like you you go to YouTube and you immediately start typing in like 2014 Honda sedan, and you just start, you even try to look up the exact color, right? Because you're like, I just want to see what this car looks like in a video, and so you watch through that or you watch the product unwrappings. You guys ever done that where like you want to buy something, so you watch somebody unbox it on YouTube. The reason you're doing it is because you wanna sort of see what it's about before you purchase it. It's the reason why you send a picture of a new piece of clothing to your friend to see, hey, does this look okay? What do you think, right? It's the reason why dressing rooms exist in stores so that we can try them on. And it's the reason why the return policy exists on Amazon Prime, because we want to be familiar with something before we commit to it. And a lot of times that same type of unfamiliarity and concern happens with the Old Testament. And so what I want to do tonight is I want to teach you that one of the ways we can become more familiar with a book and be more comfortable with reading it is by going over an overview of it, knowing what we're going to see, knowing what we're going to expect, knowing what the ups and downs are, knowing what we're going to learn, right? Like we're going to be told what we're going to learn tonight. And like, is that the same thing as learning it? No, it's not. We're going to go over the content and hear it a little bit like an appetizer, experiencing it just a little bit so that we know what to expect over the next several weeks as we actually get into it verse by verse. So I wanna encourage you that if that's you tonight and you're like, I've always sort of wanted to read the Old Testament and I don't know exactly how to do that. And even after this, I don't know exactly how you got to do this whole overview thing. I can show you. It's super easy. It it doesn't take anything to get into an Old Testament overview. So if that's something you're interested in learning, I can give you some resources. You come up here afterwards. I'll give you some resources, okay? Or... Maybe if I remember it in the message, I'll just tell them to you as well. So how about that? Let's put Jonah through the test drive tonight. Let's just experience everything we can about it, overview all of it, and then see what the Lord might have for us in it. Let's get our eyes in the book of Jonah real quick. We're going to be in just the first couple verses. This book starts off like a lot of the prophetic books and says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now, I told you I'm going to be giving you an overview, and I think the first two sentences of this book are a great place to start with an overview of what the book is about. We want to understand when it was written, who was it written about, how can we trust it, right? So here's the first thing that I want us to see tonight about Jonah, and it's that Jonah was a real man simple now when I say real man I don't mean like he's a real man you know like that's not what I'm saying I mean like he actually existed he was a person that was born and died right he had a father it says it right there he was the son of Amittai he was a historical man that actually existed some people don't know what to do with the book of Jonah because spoiler alert he gets swallowed by a fish and they're like that just doesn't sound like it could be real no way the book is real Well, one of the reasons we know that it's real is because Scripture starts this book exactly like it does all of the other historical books. All of the other books that state that this person was a real person, it starts the same way. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. But it's not just that. That's why we have reason to know that Jonah was a real man. We actually see him elsewhere in scripture. You can write this down or turn there if you want. It is going to be on the screen if you just want to jot it down. But this is 2 Kings 14. Okay, 2 Kings 14. This is going to be verse 23. It says, In the fifteenth year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria, and he reigned for 41 years. He did what was evil on the side of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. So king was a bad dude, okay? King was a bad dude. He restored the border of Israel from Lebohamath as far as the Sea of the Arabah. According to the word, here it is, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant, who? Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was from Gath-Hefer, For the Lord saw the affliction of Israel was very bitter, for there was none left, bond or free, and there was none to help Israel. But the Lord had not said that he would not, or that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven. So he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. So what we understand here is that Jonah was a real man recorded in a historical book. The book of 2 Kings has been proven time and time again by historians to be historically accurate, to actually be talking about what happened historically in the Middle East. And right here, it acknowledges not only that Jonah was a real man who had a father, but it even says where he was from. It says where he was from, and we'll get to more of that in in just a minute. But let's keep on going. It's not just in 2 Kings that we know that He was seen as someone who actually existed. Jesus himself refers to Jonah. Jesus himself speaks of Jonah. This is also on the screens, but if you want to jot it down, Matthew 12, Matthew 12, verse 40. Jesus is speaking and says, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, if we were to stop there, we could say, Oh, Jesus is just, he's just talking about like something that's similar, right? Like a type of Christ, like something that's poetic. So just as Jonah was poetically in this, you know, made up story, three days and three nights, so I will be for real three days and three nights, except in the next verse, Jesus says the men of Nineveh, which coming up in the story, we're going to see that they're a big part, okay? The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So all of a sudden, Jesus is acknowledging that the men of Nineveh were real, that they actually repented, and that at the judgment, they will be there. So how can it be a made-up story if Jesus himself is acknowledging that the men of Nineveh that actually repented will be here they will rise up at the judgment and condemn it so we see that jonah is a real man and we can trust that but not only was he a real man we see that he was from a real place he was from a real place like i just told you where that was gath heifer right and we'll get to that in just a minute but let me add this to it jonah was a real man from a real place And we see that he had a real call. Jonah was a real man from a real place with a real call. Look back at verse 1 with me. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, covered that, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for the evil has come up before me. So we know that Jonah was real, and we know that his call was real, because not only did the Lord give it to him, but we find out that it actually worked and we find out from Jesus that the men of Nineveh will actually be at the great judgment. So we understand Jonah was a real man from a real place with a real call. And i just, real quick, we're gonna get into this next week. I just wanna show you how we know that to be real even because we know the places actually existed. I'm not gonna get all past Rob with the laser pointer. I'm not fancy enough to own one, but I think you can see it, okay? So you'll see Gath Heifer right there. Right above Joppa, if you guys are familiar with Nazareth, where Jesus is from, right? Nazareth, it's actually really close to there. And you can see that off to the upper right there above Iraq, right? To the northeast is Nineveh, an actual place that existed. Gath Heifer, an actual place that existed. We're going to see next week that Jonah went down to Joppa, an actual place that existed. And we're going to see, you can see that line. He tried to flee all the way to the other end of the earth as he knew it to a place that actually existed. You can trust that Jonah is a historical book, which means that we need to believe what it says. We need to understand it as Jesus understood it. So Jonah, real man, real place, with a real call. And the next thing we need to see, and the thing you need to know about this book, because I'll be mentioning it a lot, is that Jonah was portrayed in a satirical way. Jonah was portrayed in a satirical way. I'll leave that just for a sec so you can write it down if you want. Satirical is not the easiest word to just sound out. You should see how many times I mistyped it this week as I was preparing this message, right? Jonah was portrayed in a satirical way. As you're writing that, let me just explain to you what satire is. Satire, if you're unfamiliar, is essentially a a genre or a way of writing or filming or expressing art that exposes human vice... human folly it exposes human vice or human folly by vice we mean wickedness cruelty or by folly we mean foolishness stupidity it is a way of telling a story that accents that that shows that we actually have satire all over our our culture right now there's so many videos I wanted to show you I needed to find one that was short and one that was somewhat clean so this is the one we got But I do wanna show you how this this stuff is all over the place and how it's not an unfamiliar genre. So, just for a minute, take a trip with me. Let's head to Taco Town together, okay?
1: You know what I love about tacos? What's that? Everything. (laughs) (laughs) Do tacos get any more kick butt than this? Oh, they're about to, all right. you at Taco Town. We take a crunchy all beef taco, smother it in nacho cheese, lettuce, tomato, and our special Southwestern sauce. Then we wrap it in a soft flour tortilla with a layer of refried beans in between. Sweet! Then we wrap that in a savory corn tortilla with a middle layer of Monterey Jack cheese. Awesome! It's even awesomer when we take a deep-fried gordita shell, smear on a layer of our special guacamolito sauce, and wrap that around the outside. This is pretty big. It gets bigger because we bake it in a corn husk filled with pico de gallo, then wrap that in an authentic Parisian crepe filled with egg, gruyere, merguez sausage, and portobello mushrooms. Can okay, eat it now? Sure, but not before we take the whole thing and wrap that in a Chicago-style deep-dish meat-lover's pizza. Pizza? Now that's what I call a taco. Well, it's not a Taco Town taco until we roll it up in a blueberry pancake, dip it in batter, and deep-fry it until it's golden brown. Then we serve it all in a commemorative tote bag filled with spicy vegetarian chili. It's 15 great things all rolled into one. Town! Oh, no! the new Pizza Crepe Taco Pancake Chili bag
0: only at Taco Town. TACO TOWN! There it is. Taco Town. There is so many, I'm not even gonna go there with the videos I wanted to show you, but. What place was that video making fun of? Anybody, just say it out loud. Taco Bell. Right, most of us knew it right away. Because we know that Taco Bell loves putting Mexican items inside of other Mexican items and then mixing it with things that are not not Mexican, right? I don't even need to give examples. Half of you were raised on Taco Bell, okay? So, but that's satire. It's true that Taco Bell likes to do that. It's true that We as Americans, did anybody notice the American flag pop up when they folded the blueberry pancake onto it? (laughs) It's like they folded the blueberry pancake and then the American flag just showed up like America, right? Anyway, so it's true that Taco Bell likes to do that and it's true that we as Americans love to give into those things and there's a reason why it's a very popular fast food chain. Um, Those are all true. Now, they were clearly trying to expose the folly of it, right? The foolishness of it. That's what satire is. Does this accurately portray every single aspect of what Taco Bell does? No, absolutely not. But this video does a fantastic job at using storytelling to reveal the oddities and silliness of Taco Bell's philosophy of business or the oddity of mankind to enjoy it so much. So the whole point is this, satire is written in a way to expose human folly and human vice. Jonah, as we're gonna see, is written that way. As I've been studying it and reading through it, reading through some of the, the Hebrew and understanding it, like it is one of the most advanced and complex literary works in all of Scripture. The words that it uses, I mean, this is a story that we tell to children. It's one of the most memorable children's stories that we hear, and yet it is one of the most complex literary books in the entire Bible, and it's because it is written with satire. So that's what, that's what Jonah is. We're going to see it time and time again. It's a book written to expose his, his silliness, his foolishness, his cruelty. We're going to see how cruel Jonah actually is, and honestly, some of his stupidity. It's going to reveal those things. And the book itself is clearly written so that we would not be like Jonah. That's how I ended last week. When I went through the the message of salvation and then how we need to be evangelizing, I said, whatever you do, you've been called to evangelize, you've been called to go out there and spread the gospel, and you don't want to be like Jonah because Jonah failed hard at it. Jonah failed the calling that was given to him at first and ran away from it. So if we're going to start a hashtag, which I feel like those are going out of style nowadays, but if we were going to start a hashtag for the series, it would be hashtag don't be a Jonah. Don't be a Jonah. And as we go along in this book, we're going to see the multiple times that Jonah just does the ridiculous, that he does the unimaginable, that he does things that just, they don't make any sense. And we're going to see the people around him, the unbelieving pagans who are not Israelites, act more godly than him, act more compassionate than him, act more gracious than him. Now, is Jonah actually like this? Yes, in some ways he must have been because God recorded it in in his word. If he wasn't, God wouldn't have included it in his word. These events actually happened. Jonah's response to these things that we're gonna read about actually happens. But we are gonna see that there is intentional language in this book to show just how ridiculous he was being. There's intentional acting, intentional ways of saying something. To point out how ridiculous it is. I think you're following me, but I think the most important question to this is why? Like, why does the book need, or why does the Bible need a book like this? Why does the Bible need a book that is satirical, sarcastic? Well, it's because Jonah was written to emphasize not only the weakness and stupidity and and certainly the cruelty of Jonah, but it was also. Written to emphasize the compassion of God. Jonah was portrayed in a satirical way to emphasize the compassion that God has. And we're not, t- we're not talking about compassion just to Israel. We're not talking about compassion just to, to the people he had already chosen, but we're talking about compassion to the nations. And not just some, some unnamed nations that, oh, some people that aren't Israel. We're talking about God's compassion for his own enemies. The Ninevites around, we'll learn this too, the Ninevites all around that timeline, Israel's enemies, not not great people. If you're an Israelite, you're not a huge fan of of the Ninevites. You're not a huge fan of Assyria in general. And yet God is calling Jonah to go preach to the enemy of Israel that they should repent, to extend God's compassion to them. So it's it's written to emphasize the compassion of God. And this this three things. This These aren't on the screen, but these are three things that it really does for us. Right, Three things that we should understand. The, the book of Jonah is for us. One, we're gonna see that this confronts those who say that the Old Testament God is different from the New Testament God. You guys have heard that before. Right? You've heard people that don't believe because of it. You've heard of people that struggle with their faith because they're told that the Old Testament God, or they see that the Old Testament God is this cruel, harsh, wrathful, vengeful God and the New Testament God, the God of Jesus is kind and compassionate and loving. And there is no way that they are the same God. But a book like the book of Jonah proves that wrong because Jonah existed 3000 years ago. Jonah existed like a thousand years before Christ. He existed in the Old Testament and this, the same timeline that has God fulfilling his wrath against his enemies and, and calling Israel to head into war is the same God that's like, oh yeah, go have compassion and mercy on my enemies because I'm going to have compassion on who I have compassion on. The book of Jonah for us as God's people today, as Christians who believe in the compassion of God given to us by Jesus Christ on the cross that died for us, like the book of Jonah for us today is proof that when we open our Bibles and talk to somebody about the word of God, that God was a compassionate God, always. And that's the second and third thing, you see, right? So the first one is that it confronts those who say the Old Testament God is different from the New Testament. The Second is that it confirms that the God of Jesus is the same God. That Jesus didn't come along and preach a different God. Jesus didn't come along and make up the whole thing, and then we just sort of grafted the Old Testament into it. it teaches the consistency. Third, we see that this reminds us that God never changes. It's called the immutability of God. Immutability of God. It's this fancy word that means God never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We just sang that. We sang that 20 minutes ago. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the book of Jonah is one of those books that proves that. The book of Jonah is one of the many reasons that we can sing lyrics like that, and we can sing them with confidence. So, what does it mean for you? It means that you can have confidence in the Word of God, and you have confidence in the entire book of the Bible that is revealing who God actually is. So, it confronts those who say Old Testament God and New Testament God are different, confirms that the God of Jesus is the same God of the Jews, and reminds us that God never changes. So Jonah is portrayed in a satirical way to emphasize the compassion of God, but that's not the only thing. The book of Jonah was written to challenge us, to challenge us as children of God, as followers of the way, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as those who have given their lives over to Jesus. If you were here last week, I gave you that opportunity. I gave you that opportunity to put your faith in Christ, I explained how you've been put into slavery under sin and how you need to be redeemed and set free. And I explained to you how to give your life over to Christ, how to have that freedom. And what I'm saying is that when we have accepted that freedom, when we have accepted the compassion of God to us, and we understand his compassion upon us and his mercy, that books like the book of Jonah challenging us to remember God's compassion. That's the first little sub-point there, to challenge us. What does it challenge us in? First thing is to remember God's compassion. To remember God's compassion, let's just start with for us. One of the things we're going to see in the book of Jonah is that multiple times, Jonah straight up disobeys God, right? Not like an accidental, like, oops, I'm sorry, Lord, I forgot, I didn't mean to sin, like no, I don't want anything to do with you. So I'm going to travel hundreds of miles and pay fare and lie to people in order to make sure that I'm nowhere near where you want me to be. Like intentional, sinful disobedience. And yet God doesn't kill Jonah. God doesn't punish Jonah. God has compassion upon Jonah. And we're going to see time and time again how we should be grateful and thankful for the compassion of the Lord upon us through Jesus Christ. We as New Testament believers, that's what we read when we read the book of Jonah. But it's not just remembering that God has compassion for us, it's remembering that God has compassion for the world. What's so hard for Jonah is that God wants to have compassion on his enemies. Guys, sometimes we have a hard time with compassion for our fellow Christians. We have a hard time with compassion for our friends when we're too tired, when we're cranky when we've had a bad day or even just because just just today I feel like not having compassion on you you said something that irritated me we have a difficult time showing just compassion to our friends and fellow brothers and sisters in Christ but what the book of Jonah is going to remind us is that our compassion extends and God's compassion extends to the world and last it challenges us to reflect God's compassion. Now, I chose this wording specifically, not reflect on God's compassion, but to reflect God's compassion. You see, there's an expectation in the book of Jonah that Jonah, after having been saved a couple different times by the Lord, might also show that type of compassion to his enemies. We'll learn that he fails in that, but it's a challenge to us that we are called to reflect God's compassion on others. We are called to forgive as we have been forgiven. We are called to love one another as we have been loved, for we do not love except because he first loved us. So for you tonight, if any of these things sound like something you struggle with, If any of these things sound like something you need to grow in, you want to learn more of, you want to soften your heart, you hear these things, but you never get on board with them, you hear these things, and you're sort of there for a little bit, and then you waver, like, if that's you, then the book of Jonah is for you, and the series is for you, and stay here. Be here with us. Stick it out with us. Let's be in it together. And if you're getting tired of the book of Jonah, okay, We have some preachers coming in to preach other things out of God's word, too. It's going to be an amazing semester. We're going to be going through this book. We're going to be hearing some other things as well. I'm super excited for what the Lord has for us. And I want to end this way because I want to set you up for the rest of the book as we get into the rest of Jonah. I want to set you up with a question. You know, I like to end my messages with a time of reflection. You know, I like to end my messages with a moment to give you just a chance to think before we go off and do our community event or some of you head home or go back to school or whatever it might be, I wanna ask this question. The question is, am I responding to compassion of God appropriately? Like, am I responding to it? A couple ways you can think about this. One, let's talk about last week. Have I responded to the compassion of God to save me, to give me mercy and grace through his son, Jesus Christ? Have I responded appropriately by saying, thank you, God, here's my life for saving me. I give you all that I am. I call you Lord. I call you master. Like, am I responded that way or am I still thinking about it? But maybe you're in a different mindset and what you need to be thinking is, Am I responding to the compassion of God appropriately by actually reflecting it to other people? Do people see compassion in my life upon them because God has been compassionate upon me? Do they see that around me? Does my family see it? Do my friends see it? Or maybe we need to go to the further step, like, yeah, my friends and family see it, but am I doing anything about it? Am I going to my enemies? Am I going to God's enemies? Am I praying that I would have the strength to do that? And am I praying for people like missionaries, go to the Sunnah people? to go preach the gospel to them? Am I actively on board with making sure that the compassion of God is known to the nations like we're gonna see in Jonah? Like, where are you at in all of that? I'm gonna give you time right now, a couple minutes, to just pray to God, and I'll wrap this up. Let's take a few minutes right now and do that. As we wrap up in just a minute, maybe take a second and... Make a very specific commitment to God right now. I will do this this week. I will do this tomorrow. I will do this tonight. Set a time, set a specific, commit to it. Think of that right now. Father, you have been so good to us more than we understand or more than many of us give you credit for. You have been kind and merciful, gracious and compassionate upon us. Lord, I thank you for all that we get to learn in the book of Jonah. I pray that it opens up people's eyes to just the wonders that are had in the Old Testament. How we can marvel at how you're the same God. You've never changed. We like to pretend like you have. We like to think that the questions we have that doubt you or contradict you, we like to think that they're new questions, but they're not. There's no question you've never withstood. There's no question that's ever torn down your word. Your word and who you are has satisfied the the greatest minds of history, Lord. And I pray that it would satisfy ours for the next several weeks as we are in this book together. Thank you for this wonderful ministry. Thank you for all that we get to experience here tonight. Jesus, thank you for you. May your name be glorified forever and ever. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.